Hello and welcome to Slash Dupe, the mysterious movie pitching podcast with a twist. Each member of today's podcast has been given the same movie or TV title, some time to prepare, and has come to the table to pitch their own unique take on that title. I'm joined by my Slash Dupe regulars and co-hosts, Dan and Ryan, and traditionally on Slash Dupe, we hear three different ideas based on one title, but today's title demanded something different. My favourite thing about Slash Tube is uh, one of the one of my favourite things is the the ability to like building blocks to sort of throw in and mix and match and spin off of other people's ideas. So in the conception of this title, which I'll reveal momentarily, I thought there was there was a unique opportunity to do this, particularly having a doctor in our midst. Um, I figured, and uh, someone with with um, uh, one foot, if not an entire leg or half of his body in the tech world, um, I thought that we would do an exquisite corpse with this. So traditionally, um, I don't know if, uh, Ryan, do you want to just tell people traditionally what an exquisite corpse is? What, what does that mean? An exquisite corpse is a beautiful dead body. No, an exquisite corpse is um, where you take a piece of paper. It's an old French parlor game. And so you take a piece of paper and you would somebody would draw a head and fold it over and then draw the somebody else, pass the piece of paper to somebody else. Someone would draw the body, fold that over, and then somebody else would draw the legs and open it up. And then you have this amalgamation of everybody's skills and beliefs of whatever they wanted to draw as one exquisite corpse is where it comes from. Yeah, so it's basically a sort of hideous rendition created by everybody's sort of unique creative vision. Now... Also, traditionally, you would not see the, the bit that has come before. Um, but that doesn't really work for us on Slash Dude. But you can still, trust trust me, we can still create a hideous uh, beast of an <laughs> oh, idea. Oh, it will be hideous, yeah. <laughs> and today, uh, I'm still Sean, your peerless moderator. And normally, I would be picking a winner at the end of every episode. Um, but with this one, we're going to do things slightly differently. So I'm very, I'm very excited. Uh, I will re- reveal the title momentarily, and, and you'll see why we're, we're choosing to do it this way. So, Sean, as as the only doctor as part of this group, what is a slash dupe? Well, it's it's not a very polite thing to ask a lady what what their slash dupe is. Um, <laughs> but under this circumstance, as you are a doctor, I shall reveal that um, a slash dupe is a film in the very early stages. Um, it's it's a rough sort of post production version, and it's normally the unfinished building blocks of what it can become. It's sort of used when they're uh, doing the audio and other sort of elements of post-production. Um, and usually we, we can guarantee you at least that. So thank you for that. That, that inquiring uh, voice you heard is Dr. Loz. Uh, Lawrence, that inquiring voice you heard was Lawrence, uh, aka Dr. Loz, which is a new nickname I created. I've known you for some time, Lawrence, but this, that's the first time I thought about calling you Dr. Loz. And I'm, and I'm so proud of myself that I feel like it needs to be, we need to make it a is thing. That, is that his hip hop name? That is that is Lawrence's hip hop name. Good lord! No, don't 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 give me that. But that actually is the first time anyone's ever called me that. So um, so yeah, that's that's all brand new for me. We'll so make how... sure we we introduce you like that next time we do karaoke when we're allowed to do karaoke together. And it's, it's your song comes up, and be like, it's Doctor Lawrence. Wow! Yeah, that is properly a DJ name, isn't it? Like, like, capital FM. Kind of demean, kind of demeans all the pain of a PhD, but <laughs> yeah. So, do you think? So, you, do you think this? I, I know that your PhD was in a t- in the technological uh, sphere and space. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it will aid you in some way today? Now, you do know the title, and I will reveal it to everyone. But do so. Do you think that it will help you in some way today? 
You would hope so, because it spent a lot, you spent a lot of time and money on it. And if not for slash dupe, then then for what it's, purpose was it? It's, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think you know, given the title that you, that you are going to share, mm. um, I think it's only it's only going to help as much as it is a starting point, because I think once you start to deconstruct the etymology of the word, um, there are lots of different ways that you can build a a functioning narrative around that that doesn't necessarily need to be in the tech space so mm. so yeah yeah i'm i'm intri- i'm really intrigued to kind of pull it apart with yourself yeah true enough well that's that's definitely that's why you're the doctor that's that's a good answer <laughs> most people go oh i don't know am i prepared oh, i don't know that was not to be disparaging to other guests but no that was good um perfect well in that case i shall reveal today's slash tube title um and the title for today's episode is moore's law now, um, some of you may know, um, I don't know if you'd like to, if someone would like to explain Moore's Law to the audience, I'm sure they'll be able to Google it or if maybe they've come across it just in passing. Is it, um, is it, surely the is it I'm going to have a guess. Should be I'm going I'm to have that, a guess right? though. Is it, is it to do with, is it to do with maritimes and like where you can shove your boat? <laughs> yeah, you would think, now if we were doing a regular episode of Slash Deep, we know that that's what your idea would absolutely, be. Absolutely, that would have absolutely been my idea, yeah. But yeah, traditionally Moore's law um, is to do with the exponential growth uh, in the technology space. That's that's talking very broadly, and and I think it sort of is associated primarily with things like microchips and other sorts of that sort of side of technology. Um, and we're happy to hear um, in the comments any sort of um, uh, comparable or equivalent um, mm. uh, examples. Um, so with that in mind, with with Moore's law as a starting point, we thought that we would we would sort of go down unfolding as we went this this exquisite corpse so i'm gonna ask i just before we started i think it was dan that said he had the the head of the idea i, I think i have the hair okay of the right. idea <laughs> if that develops into the rest then then we're on a winner right so sticking with the technology theme and it can go down a number of genres so i'll keep it open keep it open uh an inventor invents um, an Android AI, and this is uh, fairly standard, right? Mm-hmm. This Android AI, in within the first month of its creation, develops its own brain and AI enough to develop and create another Android AI. And that Android AI takes two weeks to create another Android AI and so on and so forth. That feels like the hair of the beginning of this Moore's Law. If the inventor's called Moore as well, then we've absolutely <laughs> smashed it, right? But um, we'll leave it what, there. What's the name of the... Is it the, is it the Turing test? I can't remember what the Turing test is. Is that the one that t- yes, tests AI? Yes, essentially that's the... It's the test to determine whether uh, an artificial intelligence can um, sufficiently fool a human so that they can believe that it is not an artificial intelligence, that it is an intelligence, Um, which is basically um, everything that I try and talk about today will be trying to equal the quality, but not the storyline of Ex Machina, which is essentially like (laughs) the the gold standard for that for for that sort of thing. Um, So so initially on your on that on the hair of the idea. Dan, and I don't want to be the next person to go because I'm scared. Um, but I, so there is something about 
So initially I thought there's something interesting about an AI that it's, so what you're doing is you're watching an AI teach another AI. That mm. to me, that initially, that just that first sort of bit of the idea is really fascinating because an artificial intelligence that is, is training uh, a younger uh, artificial intelligence, you would, you would imagine that it would have to, it wouldn't operate the same way raising a human. There's loads of shows and films and like, uh, you know, especially things on Netflix and stuff where a, a robot or an AI raises or a robot raises a child, a human child. Mm -hmm. there's, there's quite a lot of stuff. There's Raised by Wolves, the, the Ridley Scott TV show. There's Mother, the one on Netflix. There's quite a lot of those sorts of, sh sorts of shows and films. They, they're, they're all, you know, fairly interesting. Um, but I wonder if there is a difference between an AI teaching another AI how to survive. Because the rules are Especially if it, it's created itself as well. So it's not, it's almost birthed it. Yeah, and, and precisely, in, in, yeah. By, by that, um, the case of Moore's Law, it starts with the same intelligence that that AI has ended with. So it has all of its knowledge previously. So that, it's iteratively getting better throughout each um, each form. Mm. Okay, I have, I have, a, I have an, an idea I want to throw in, right? What if this is like a Truman Show style dome sort of thing um, where an inventor is created the AI and it's like sort of like a Big Brother thing. You're seeing like how it will, how it will cope with creating itself, right? So if you're taking your idea, Dan, where it, it creates itself like he gives it the tool it lets it know that it's an ai it gives it the it gives it i guess if we're, if we're saying it's a physical ai or he did say it was mm -hmm. an android right so then we give it the idea so then it, he he drip feeds it enough parts for it to create the second one da, 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 right and then it obviously if we're taking moore's law it, it will then exponentially start to create more and more in a shorter space of time for itself as it starts to speed up now here's something that's interesting like if you guys remember the the Darren brown um, experiment we did, we got the 12 chess uh, prodigies and played them all against each other like in the hands of a clock. So mm -hmm. what if on like across the other side of a piece of a piece of water, everything that the first AI is doing, he's manufacturing and engineering on the other side. So then you get this tribalist idea, right? If, you know, computers would probably, the fear a lot of people have with AI is that it will rise up, realize that humans are the worst thing about this planet and kill us all off, right? So what if it's that idea like the ais are trying to build a perfect environment and then they find out that across the water there's another tribe of people like what happens do they try and assimilate or do they try and fight but actually they are it's just the copies of what's being created but reskinned across the pond um sort of like the uk and america but um <laughs> i don't know like that is sort of an idea this is obviously i'm going very much down to the west west no, world that, sort that's of very interesting and what Part yeah. of what I really love is you talking about the chess prodigy. That's really fascinating because I think that if we're going to go down this route of the AIs creating more AIs, they would be learning from each other in a sort of, I don't know, in that sort of fashion. I'm, yeah. I'm drawing a sort of, I guess, the petals of a flower that a child might draw, but out in a sort it's of... Like, it's like a chain circle. link, isn't it, more or less? So does this inventor invent five identical Android AI? But put them in five different environments. That's true. Cool. Environments, that's, that's and then good. we see how they grow. Yeah, 
that that's more palatable like that's more because you you talk about an ai that creates another one every two weeks that's like a really good sort of philip k dick novella right it's sort of it's, yeah. it's got it's very you know very ideas filled and and it can go somewhere really weird but in terms of a film i think that's really visually interesting and and each environment can say something new can't it mm. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And then you, I mean, would that be exploring nature versus nurture or, or are we trying to explore non-human um, subjects with that? That's that's the thing. Is there something that's more interesting in, in assessing well, the, artificial intelligence is not against uh, our own sort of uh, framework, but against the, their own frameworks? I mean, I never played Prey because it was too spooky, but, and, you know, correct me if in this, Sean, isn't it like to do with whether the assimilation of the um typhon and humans could was possible right isn't that what the sort of whether they could live harmoniously together or whether they would tear each other apart Spoiler i think so there, there was an element <laughs> of that yeah yeah no there was and so maybe that's the thing maybe it's trying to find the the ai that wouldn't think humans are the worst thing about this planet and it would, it would, Despite it's them being it's, the worst things. About yeah, but no, of course, of course we are, right? That, that, and you know, tarantulas. But like the well, tarantulas nothing, never, nothing, never nothing like, needs to be that big to genocide. So at least right? like even tarantulas, arachnophobia, no, of do. course not. Um, but but the the thing. So, but I wonder if that's the thing. Maybe it's trying to create the most perfect subservient AI. Is Gosh. what this guy's trying to say. A whole different thing. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. Well, that is that is interesting because then I'm also interested in um, two things that spin off of that. Where does our, uh, virtual intelligence move into artificial intelligence, or when does artificial intelligence move into sentience? So you see, those are sort of slightly different things, aren't they? So mm. an artificial intelligence is, yeah, it's artificial. It's it's the sort of perfect mimicry um, uh, of uh, it, it it's sort of the it's the perfect mimicry of 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 uh, intelligence, but it's not intelligence itself. It's not it's not a kind of sentience. Lawrence, we've got Lawrence. You've been you've been learning all of this like machine machine learning. Listen to all of us to formulate your perfect answer. <laughs> what have you got? Uh, it's it's um it's been really interesting listening to all of you. Um, I think that um thinking about Moore's law um. I kind of had to define it for myself. And I think the concept of it is, is super interesting. As I, as I was saying before, I think it lends itself to lots of um, different narrative structures and lots of different stories. So Moore's law essentially is about power um, and it's about um, the kind of very slow and then incrementally, incredibly quick accumulation of power um, over time, um, a little bit like compound interest. So, you know, it's all about... <laughs> Moore's law is about you know the number of transistors that you can get onto um, onto a silicon chip, mm. and basically the increase in computation that comes from that, and that was said to double every year. So it's that kind of it's the accumulation of power, and I think that um, um, if we were to kind of stay within um, um, the technical the technical space, I would really want to I would really want to interrogate the um, the socio technical space so the inter the interplay between technology and humanity like how do they overlap like over and over and over again because 
that's generally what happens happens isn't it you know humans we create our machine we create our tools and then our tools create us and it's that mm. <laughs> virtuous circle mm. of, um, of integration over time and so um this this basic by the way this basically is what i studied and this kind of why oh, okay so, wow yeah this is not like a kind of flash of brilliance that came <laughs> yeah. but, um, but i think but i think that socio-technical landscape is really interesting um it's very black mirror-y like it's definitely definitely been done before but i think once you start to um think about things like information i think it's really interesting so how information interplays between people um um, um over time yeah. and so i'm um, you know like there are so many corollaries right and um for me i'm thinking the type of film that i would do perhaps might not be fiction it might be a documentary so i would love mm. to see just to be able to map how um um information and misinformation um, um, really gets because basically then what you're talking about again it comes back to power it's not tech it's power so how you can leverage technology for things like social engineering um, for um, um, having people think you know in a, in, in, in a certain way and I think that's 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 really interesting and of course it's been explored in things like 1984 it's been explored with things like you know 2001. Mm. There are lots of lots of um, um, stories that kind of go back through antiquity about this, but I think just the speed and power through which this can yeah. be done um, is incredibly interesting. There was a paper that came out in 2014 where, um, and I'm sure you've all heard of it, but where Facebook um, artificially they got they had a, a massive corpus of people for this tech for this um, experiment, um, and they changed. They basically wanted to see the effects on people if they changed the content of the news feed from positive to negative. And it was fascinating. Mm. It was fascinating. The people who were in the positive corpus um, instantly posted and engaged in a more positive way. They felt happier. Yeah. They felt more positive. People in the negative, and it, this all sounds self-explanatory, right? But the people in the negative corpus felt more depressed, sent more depressing um, 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 content, more negative content. Um, there were, you know, there were like kind of more fights, there was more conflicts. So it's really mm. fascinating how basically you can do this, how algorithmically you can do this very, very quickly. Mm. Well, it's, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because we are sort of in this really fascinating space of dumb algorithms. So like what I've, I, I don't know if you know, I mean, you definitely know more about it than I do, but for example, I can witness going onto my YouTube and it's giving me the stuff I've most recently watched but for me, I'd like to watch a lot of different stuff each time. So it'll, I'll watch something and it'll say, here's 10 things like it. But actually what I want to do each time I go on is see something completely different from a completely different area. So I'm finding that the algorithm is trying to tell me what it thinks I want to watch. Netflix is going, hey, I think you'll probably like these 10 movies. Well, I, I don't want to watch none of it. I don't want to watch any of these 10 movies, thanks. So it's, it's interesting sort of who the algorithms work for. And I know that there's even, so this is something that could lead into the movie. There's even um, quite a lot of uh, social bias. There's quite a lot of racial bias. There's quite a lot of these things that are drilled into the algorithms from the top, aren't they? Just by the nature of how they're created. Um, and I don't know if there's something about, you know, if someone was creating, perhaps the word artificial intelligence even is too lofty, but even like if an algorithm runs the things that we do in a way that is an artificial intelligence, I don't know, perhaps someone can correct me, but it's it's maybe just a lot of algorithms put together, which is essentially sort of how our, how we think that's part of our thinking as human beings, really. 
Um, so if these things, if these algorithms that define what we see and how we see it were, were biased, that's something that fascinates me. If the person that created a robot, um, you know, was a bigot or was a, you know, a, a, a sort of white supremacist or something, then surely part of the programming and the code would would would, would also just even unconsciously. And couldn't one of the that. five environments be? fed with positivity and positive reinforcement, positive news from the outside world. Another one could be with a negative. Mm. One could be, you could have like your various political, it turns out it's more than five. They took this experiment. It's And, and then it's maybe it's Facebook that's been doing it all along <laughs> and their reactions are feeding out into, uh, to algorithms that they then feel, feed to real people, real people. Um, Is yeah, that, and a, the, 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 the transference of power, as you said, Lawrence, is quite interesting in that sense as well. Like, I w does it <clears throat> does it sort of equate to how close to consumerism is it? Like Moore's law, is it something like that? Is it is uh, if you're if you have that power, then obviously the the and the more and more like as you said, being able to put more microchips into a processor, if that's you're the mm. person doing that, then I guess you would you're putting out a better product, you're the person that is people are wanting to buy from because you've got the best technology, right? Is that sort of, is there a link there? Isn't it? So I think, um, so I think that that's a really interesting one to talk about, isn't it? Like kind of consumerism, like kind of what, what do people consume? Mm. And if you think that we are in an, an attention economy, right? Where, you know, the, the actual economy really that we're in, it's not, kind of financial it's attention it's human attention mm. and that's and that's really interesting then so things like personalization you know you go on to you create a brand new netflix account and it's basically a blank slate but it's constantly learning your behavior yeah. so it's that re that reinforcement algorithm right it just learns what you do and then it gives you everything based back on your, your previous behavior yeah, yeah. and that's kind of how we live our lives anyway isn't it right mm. we tend not to associate with people who think different too differently to us tend not to go to places that um, are kind of too outside our um, 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 our sphere mm -hmm. of influence you know we tend not to engage with people even films you know watch it like, I would love to have the behavioral data from Netflix but <laughs> even with films like, we tend not to watch films that are outside of our language language that we sure. speak so it definitely works with um, it definitely works with consumerism mm -hmm. I think um, and I wonder the extent to which it works um, politically. Again, this, this, you know, it's, I think it's kind of, it, it's super easy to do this. I'm always really interested in Dan's idea in terms of like maybe using this to forge utopia, right? Mm. How could you use this? How could you use this Moore's law, this kind of like careful accumulation of basically power and this kind of compounding effects of power, like how you could use, because then of course you'd have to define what utopia is mm, and of course besides what that is, of course. And um, there are loads of really good stories about that, aren't there? Where people have tried to create a brilliant society, utopian society, and it's all fallen a bit flat. So your point, um, Lawrence, about what is utopia, that's that's fascinating. And I actually don't think that films address what utopia should be. They always just go, this is what a utopia is. Let's either go to it or we found the opposite of it, you know, or, or in the pursuit of utopia, we found a dystopia. But they never actually 
look at what a utopia is. And I found, so just off of that, and I would love to, to hear what, you've, what your sort of definitions of a utopia would be, um, but just spinning off of, let's say, maybe earlier on, Dan saying the different environments mm. um, for uh, these sorts of, for growing up in and these sort of artificial intelligences, I'm, I'm really fascinated by, let's say, um, certain relationships you recognise between two people that you're close to, and you can see how not only does one person influence the other, which is which is normal, I think, but often sometimes it can occur that they bring the sort of worst side or they allow the worst side of the other person to come out. The complacency, you know, and one person is exacerbated by another or, you know, or perhaps even the opposite. Um, so I'm interested in, so I would regard, the reason why I'm a little sceptical about algorithms at the moment is that I feel like they, obviously they're designed to keep you in your comfort zone. Um, and based on what you were saying earlier on, like that scares me a little. So that seems like a dystopia to me in many ways. I think like really being pushed outside of your comfort zone, having um, relationships or even having um, situations that, or even algorithms that push you out of your comfort zone are something that really excites me. And you can see uh, when that happens in history, then that's when real growth in terms of sort of human behavior and, and, and that sort of stuff really occurs, I think, when people are pushed outside of their comfort zone. So that, to me, would be a core component of what a utopia is, is actually the algorithms pushing you not towards comfort, but away from it to challenge. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I'm happy to share the papers mm. and things. But um, like, for example, um, there are lots of examples. There's lots of science to say that actually as human beings, um, we tend towards um, comfort. We tend towards um, a small tribe, small group mm. of people who ideologically um, were very, that are similar to you um, and that aren't too far away. Um, that's that's kind of what we tend to. So, for example, you've got the Dunbar number. Um, do you guys know the no, Dunbar number? No. no. So Robin, du Robin Dunbar, professor in Oxford, um, came up... Um, gosh, years ago now, but basically with what he calls the Dunbar number, which is the um, the number of people that, the number of people that basically you keep in contact with during periods of your life. And he says that number tops out at 150. Right. They have. So it was really interesting, right? So, and Facebook, interestingly enough, um, confirmed that number. So even though people have like thousands and thousands of friends, yeah. In general, they'll keep in touch with about 150 people right. in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it tends to work for everyone else. So in your phone, you've probably got thousands of people in your contacts list, but you'd only keep in touch with maybe 10 or 20 of them. Um, that's and a very that's... generous um, uh, <laughs> estimation of how many people generous have in my me, phone. Yeah. <laughs> thousand people, I've got like four. <laughs> but... But that's a, a little insight. That's a, that's a really good flex there, Lawrence. I like that. Sorry, I interrupted you. But... No, 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 no. It's, it's interesting. And also like the paradox of choice as well. The idea that actually, you know, you, there, you have paralysis by analysis, mm. right? When there's actually more choice in menus, sure. in life, yeah. you know, cars and everything, people tend not to choose. Yeah. They tend to be paralyzed. Whereas actually when, when, we, when so I think kind of talking about that, talking about, as you were talking about, Sean, filter bubbles, um, what they've found is that actually you get more engagement with these platforms. You get more usage out. Mm. You you watch more Netflix when you served the things that it thinks you watched in the past and the things that you think. Right. Because yeah, that's the sure. stuff that it thinks that it will think that you like. And so I think talking then about 
systems uh-huh. and whatever else and like those socio-technical systems it's it starts to get really interesting when you talk about things like lost lord of the flies mm. um you know how you create a utopia right mm. very very quickly in you know in the midst of a crash or um when people talking about you know um, um you know communism and you know um films that try to um critique for example um, um life in in the communist east mm-hmm. Um, rather than um, um, kind of like life growing up um, um, in the West, I think these these are these are interesting these are interesting corollaries. But, but I think kind of to bring it back then into into a film, um, it would be really so. Like the Circle did this, didn't it? The Circle oh, the kind of Circle to... is very smart. Like at least the first season yeah, of it was. Are you talking about the television show The Circle or the or the Robert Eggers? book that got turned into the film oh right so i'm talking about the book oh i'm talking about i'm talking about the tv show serialized it yeah (laughs) serialized it'd be interesting i'll I'll watch that i mean well i don't so i i know i only know the circle as the one where they all pretended to be friend they pretend to be somebody they were not and basically so ryan just explain the television show the circle to us so the television show was there was uh 10 people in an apartment block and the only way they could communicate with each other was via a fake social media and then people basically, the the winner was the one that convinced all the rest of them who they were. And the the guy that won it um, pretended to be his girlfriend. So had her photos, had he, had her like messages, had all this stuff. And everyone was like, oh yeah, this, and this is the most genuine person. And then he walked out of the room and they all, you could see they were visibly angry at him because they he, he deceived them all. Because they felt like they believed they'd been, it's sort of catfishing, been talking to but a they set. believed they'd been talking to someone completely different, engaged yeah. with, connected with, perhaps yeah. even loved or appreciated someone. Yeah. So it's very and different so, to the, and the thing is, and novel and film, but, but in the same sort mm. of space almost, sort of dealing with similar sort of things. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's what, but I guess that's what we believe is comfortable. I like that. I'm, 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 I, pretty sure that like his um the girlfriend that he was being was like a a white blonde girl so that obviously plays into some of the um already predispositions that we have of Mm. people we trust people we listen to people we think would tell the truth over somebody we think would lie and maybe you know coming back to the ai thing that's another interesting question as to how does the ai want to make itself to be perceived right Mm. um that's something that obviously there's that it mm. could try and process through data or it could try and process through um, creating itself individually. Ryan, to, to what end though? You're saying that the AI would want to present itself in a particular way, but to, to what end? That's a good point. I think, uh, and, and this cause I guess comes back to what we want in the utopia, right? Like that is the, you know that there are they've over the course of even our human history there's been as you said people trying to create utopias and failed but then it's only based on what a i guess you could say what the loudest voice in the room preaching this sort of perfect utopia it's down to what their ideals of what that is you know i mm. mean look to, to you know it's, it's gonna sound a bit crass but you know with the nazis their idea of a utopia was blonde haired and blue eyed and you know tall yes. and not jewish and so you know it's like that's their idea of utopia that failed mm-hmm. and many of us don't agree with that do you think um i'm thinking about virtual worlds mm. now because i guess that's probably the the easiest place where you can do world building mm. in your image 
Um, you mean like yeah, specifically you, like video you, you games or about? yeah, or or virtual worlds in general? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And video are, games these, and are these um, Androids also building their perfect? So what I'm saying, they've been given this sort of biosphere each. Mm. Oh, what a world and built by they're, Androids! They're, they're yeah. literally yeah. building the world that these humans, maybe the last surviving humans of an apocalypse, if we're going to add to that, then are going to go and live in, and like our. The uh, sort of end of Act Two twist could be that one or all of the androids find out that they are actually in competition with other places to create this utopia, which then starts to see some of these utopias fall apart as they compete desperately to create what they think humans will want to live in, mm. which then becomes that sort of Netflix algorithm where they they start studying humans and realise that they like these things, so they start creating the things that they think the humans will like. But actually, what brought about the apocalypse in the first place, which is sort of... So you get That's, like a... I like a that. Fully consumerism, that, that sort of being the, the, the third act. Can I just throw, throw this oh. in, that that essentially is the unseen prequel, and I mean this, not this is not my idea, this is the unseen mm. prequel to The Matrix. Because what they talk about in the second Matrix film is that there were several iterations of The Matrix beforehand, and they were each sort of were more perfect than, than the next, but human and beings humans couldn't, accept, couldn't accept it. So they moved mm -hmm. to the Matrix that was modeled, you know, on 19, 1990s yeah. uh, Sydney or whatever, Australia. Um, so that, but that is fascinating to me, these sort mm. of artificial intelligences, each each being given a space, like a sandbox, which is very video gamey, mm. which, which can tap into, because essentially it would be people watching it. So you want the people to be able to grab hold of the ideas. Um, yeah. And then within each space, so are they then creating these um, habitats or these utopias for, a, a, you know, 100,000 human beings or 100 human beings or five human beings? I, or... guess that, I guess that does depend, doesn't it? They don't know what they're doing, though. Mm. They're just no. they're just creating a biosphere or an environment for them. So, and as they create more of them, I guess their environment has to encompass more of them. Mm. So, the, the more I, the more we I talk like... about this, the more I realise we're already doing this as humans, aren't we? <laughs> like we like we are using we are but we are literally but... using machines to plant trees for us now because yeah. mm -hmm. we need them, and but that this is, is effectively what, this creating, is what science fiction like, does, though, doesn't it? It, it yeah. takes something and it makes it look like it's the future, but actually, it sort of perhaps is a dangerous parable about now. Um, so, one of those things I'm really fascinated about is let's say these let's say these biospheres, then or these areas, maybe they are the size of countries, maybe they do have peoples in them of different sort of cultures and backgrounds. And I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by, so first of all, I, I like the idea that if we were going to go ahead with this, we, it should be essentially historical fiction. So it should be based, so it's like you're taking obviously the idea of an artificial intelligence or an algorithm or something, um, but you're taking all the data that you're talking about, Lawrence, you're taking the data and you're showing each of these biospheres or each of these areas, uh, these domes, these, these sort of Truman Show areas, each of them would sort of be filled with, as you're writing it, you'd write it according to the data as it currently is. So when people are shocked or, the, or appalled or interested by what's happening in the film, it's more interesting when they go and Google it afterwards and find out that, that it's based on data, it's based on science. You know, it's very sort of mu much the interstellar, uh, you know, of, of, of artificial intelligence as opposed to space travel. Um, but with better sound. <laughs> with with we have the dialogue yeah. I think I think it's fascinating as well that um like with the Matrix, the original idea of the Matrix was not that humans were batteries, yes. but it was about um creating it was like creating a neural network. Yeah. It really it? was, so, wasn't it? Yeah. So um 
I don't know, I think, I think Dan, you said it, didn't you? That the, you know, the AI wouldn't know really what it was doing. It was just, it would basically be to, um, um, you know, extend itself. You know, yeah, it would exist. be, that would be an end in, in and of itself, yeah. right? The most efficient, you know, in the most efficient way. And be interesting to see what an AI, having studied all of human history and physiology and psychology, how that would create like, Maybe one, Maybe one of the domes has that. Maybe one of the domes is fully educated. One AI mm. is fully educated on human failings and or human history, and everything. And then that their biodome turns into something completely mm. different. That's maybe that. with no humans at all. In fact, it's a completely inhospitable place for humans because they've studied them and realised they're the least efficient things for this planet in, in the world. So they just. Mm. So maybe this is like a walking with dinosaurs type thing where it's fictionalized, but it's based entirely on real data and it's got an Attenborough type voiceover telling you based on the data what would happen with this biodome if it was or this this dome or this area if it was ran this way. And so you have almost like a sort of it's, it's yeah, walking with dinosaurs is the best. Well, I'm going to go I'm going to go like when sort of I'm going to go fake at the same time. It's, it's it feels mm. like like a like a. Um, What's it called? Like a like. Well, I think to make this like really meta, you would have the AI run the simulations of what the simulations in those biodomes. That would, would be, essentially right? what you what you would so, be doing, isn't it? Because you're sort of taking yeah. data that is sort of a lot of it would but be AI. Let's doing. not let's not forget that we used that someone programmed an AI to write a Harry Potter novel, and it was equally the that's, most amazing that's and that's worst hilarious. thing. So yeah, yeah it's so hilarious, like, but it's like the worst thing as well. So, so that's just that's explain it to thing. anyone who doesn't know it. What did they, oh, did they fed I, all the novels into uh, they an fed, artificial intelligence of a kind, didn't they? Yeah, they yeah they put all of the Harry Potter novels into an artificial intelligence and said, with all of this data, write the, the perfect, yeah. <laughs> write the next Harry Potter novel, write the perfect Harry Potter novel. And what it came out with was. It was just bonkers. Like I can't, I can't even remember what it had. Like a ridiculous name as well, and um, yeah. But that that's you know at least on the surface in terms of what we are able to do and create. Like obviously, yes, AI is an absolutely fantastic tool for mm. prediction. You know, Lawrence works in this field. I I have a foot in it working with cloud computing and um, and sort of being somewhat in in a, in a tech sphere as well. Mm. You know, seeing what amazing things it can do but then you can also write a terrible harry potter novel with it so where does that so the the sort of i guess the the so it would be interesting to and i guess the thing is that i as i said earlier right you know if ai discovered that we're the worst thing about this planet i don't actually know if that's what an ai would do because nobody's run that simulation right well, uh, at least i don't think so if, it, I, I don't know it? if somebody like, has yeah. or not but it, it's almost become this like creepy pasta isn't it it's like and and that's that's the funny thing is that's self-reflection of us because we know we burn fossil fuels we know we eat meat when we should be eating more vegetables we know we don't recycle our poop like other uh, animals do or well, some people do but um you know we know we don't mm. do those things so our assumption is oh we're terrible computer is going to kill us all and like i i you know i want to be i want to be wrong i want someone to um to back me up and basically to prove that this has been run before but i don't think i've seen one i don't think i've seen a study i don't know if anyone else has well it would be interesting wouldn't it because um it if you put two people in the room one who believed something and one who believed something else they could both argue in and until they're blue in the face and neither of them would back down so you would think that there was there's there's an equal there are equal arguments to you know humans 
you know, an artificial intelligence would equally want to support and protect humans, and then there are artificial intelligence that might, you know, might want to. So going back really to what Dan to. said uh, with the original hair of this piece, and where it's an AI that creates an AI of itself, and then I assume that exponentially ramps mm -hmm. up and decreases its time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know what, like I think the the it should be those first AIs that are programmed with the. That's right. They're with the programmed intention. with the different programs, yeah, yeah. The different intentions, and they're given maybe an identical or slightly different environment as well to see how those things work. Can I can I pose this? I'm going to do the. I'm going to draw the feet onto this exquisite corpse. I'm going to tell you sort nice. of part of the ending or part of how it should. I think this is what makes sense to me. So, I don't want to reveal too much because I love the, re, the Ronald D. Moore's reimagining of Battlestar Galactica. It's one of the best television shows I've ever seen. I'd recommend it to absolutely everyone. Um, and. Uh, the ending is is fabulous, but there's this really interesting cyclical nature of it. So it's like that. Yeah. I'm I, I'm going to throw a side point in that I'd like someone to tackle in a minute about why or how you know an artificial intelligence or a robot has to look human, it has to be human. I'm fascinated by that not having to be the case. Also um, explained in certain films where you know in Battlestar Galactica and in Blade Runner where they sort of go, why am I this meat sack? You know, <laughs> like why can't I you know jump through the cosmos or whatever. Um, but I'm sort of fascinated by the notion of uh, the end of the, this project, you, it is revealed that, let's say there are lots of people creating these artificial intelligences, putting them in these domes. I'm influenced by um, Charlie Kaufman's Synecdoche, New York, where he builds um, a sort of, uh, f and it's, it's, it's based on a lot of philosophies, um, this film. Um, I think Jungian philosophy, but I'm not 100% certain. But he builds a world and populates it with actors in a massive warehouse. Um, and then he makes the actors play himself. But, and then that actor then hires another actor to play himself playing himself. And then it, and it goes down that list until it's, it's a, a warehouse the size of New York. And within it, there are several other, you know, there are people playing parts in this world. And then each of them are, are then sort of, yeah. So, it's, so it's, there's several layers down. So what I suppose what I'm driving at is I would like the humans that have built the artificial intelligence to themselves be revealed to have been the artificial intelligences that had completed the last project to the point where they've yeah, done it I for feel a million like, years or so. I feel like the twist is that the, the final, the, the more inventor at the beginning is actually an AI. Yeah, and I sort of like... And, and, and isn't even an AI They don't even bits. know that they are. They're unbeknownst. To, they've got to a point where their artificial intelligence has become intelligence, has become sentience, and then they have then duplicated because, you know, like the infinite monkeys and the infinite typewriters mm -hmm. and the works of Shakespeare, they would eventually also try and create their own artificial intelligences. Um, also, I like the idea of these um, uh, artificially intelligent, bio, the biospheres, one of them maybe realising, not all of them realising that they could uprise and o overthrow the humans anyway, now that they've found mm -hmm. out all of these things. But then we find out that actually they've been designed on a nano level so there's no way that they can influence <laughs> you mean that they're, they're microscopic yeah so they can't they can't kill humans they can tell us how we should be uh, and the utopia we should be building but when they decide to overthrow turns out they're nano so it doesn't matter <laughs> oh, it's like the, it's like the lego movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so maybe that's where i got it from watching it with my boy so, so that's thing was the other thing. The other, the other um, thing I thought was interesting is almost like like I think Dan, you mentioned having these micro worlds, these micro utopia. Mm -hmm. So like like in Wally, 
they have that, don't they? So they, they escape this barren earth and then create it on a ship. And basically yeah. everyone just gets fat and lazy <laughs> and everything's done for yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, I think that's that again, you know, the whole thing we kind of, we tend towards, you know, automation that, you know, have, I think one of the things that's interesting about kind of like real world corollaries for AI and outsourcing decision-making, that's basically yeah. what we're doing. Um, it's, you know, things like transport, right? And you have these, um, you have all of these um, thought experiments as well that are going on um, with AI. And I think that a lot of them are fascinating. So, so for example, if you are programming a car to drive itself and it can, you know, it's going at a set speed and if it turns right, it will hit a mother with a, with a pram mm-hmm. and a young baby, or if it turns left, it will hit a group of pensioners mm-hmm. and you know, if you're outsourcing that decision making, what, what one does it take? Yeah, yeah. And who gets to Me tell and it what decision to, it should make as well? We right? went to the science museum to go and mm. see that um, there was a an exhibition about that, and we stood in front of the the uh, thing that asked us the question, and it gave you like five seconds. Who do you hit? Do you hit the <laughs> granny or do you hit the child? And you're like, you so you know. had to make those decisions. Yeah. And it was like, obviously, and that was logging those things. You like, you log. And then it gave you things like, do you hit the businessman who earns seventy thousand pounds a year, <laughs> or, or do you hit, or do you hit the three old women? Yeah. And like, what is it's so weird. Worth? Or do you hit? No, it was yeah. one. Yeah, one business, one banker who earns a hundred thousand pounds a year, or do you hit the mm. one single mother? And then, you, then now you're weighing up someone's life, aren't you? It's, Depending it's, on with the trolley car problem, people say that, don't they? Because it's like, you know, like one person, zero person, five people, one person. Then it's like five convicts, one judge. And then it's like, that's the other interesting thing about that. And that's where morality well, plays really interesting. You see, interesting that's into. why I think more in this incarnation should be a philosopher. I think that philosophers or, or a cabal of philosophers, they should be the sorts of people programming you know, arguably the sorts of people programming artificial intelligence is decision making. Um, that That's something I would be interested in, you know, because... What, we should just follow China, just have social credits. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's got the most credits, whoever's got the least credits. Them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so frightening. This is going to come to back to bite us in the arse in 50 years when it, when it happens. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is, listen, this is a tangent, I know, but how do we feel about this as, as a high concept idea? I don't know if this is incorporated in the other idea, but if I was duping this, let's say, um, as I never have before, um, I would probably have taken Moore's Law and said AI robots on an island. So like a plane carrying the next lot of artificial, in fact, this might be a plot for short circuit three that they should they should steal from me but like a plane flying (laughs) over a deserted island or not necessarily a beachy island but an island of sorts crashes and then the artificial intelligence that come out have to learn how to survive um that's something that interests me then you have the elements of building a utopia you have the microcosm they're not building it for anyone they're not building it as an algorithm to decide you know Mm -hmm. they're not building these places to uh, better human life but they are trying to sort of create it's like lord of the flies meets ex machina that's that's what yeah. the you know the poster would say but i mean that's that's how ostensibly this this works isn't mm. it this this our version of the film is that yeah. first act is we see that we think these robots are creating their own utopia there you go. that's how you incorporate act it. Yeah, two yeah. we find out that they're not actually we get to see the humans doing it and at three we realize they realize that this is something for the humans and so maybe some of them try to 
some of them try to hyper make theirs there's more attractive so that they stay alive mm-hmm. so that their survival they're now worried about their survival and know that the winners will get the bigger ones who to survive mm. and some of them decide right well that's it well we're going to go and destroy the humans then instead go go full skynet and then they it turns out when once we get both of those things that they couldn't do either of those things anyway because they're they're built they're built on a macro level a uh, micro level that we can't they could never do either of those things either provide the utopia we've just taken the data to create it for humans yeah or create an uprising because they're too small and they just get liquidized yeah which or- is a really tragic beautiful <laughs> way of finishing this thing but then you have the question of why are they even humanoid why i suppose you can well they don't have to be i like that, that idea. they are like, humanoid or that maybe right? they're not maybe one of them one of the biospheres entirely evolves itself to be arachnoid or like because more legs equals better right or one of them they (laughs) they move into an organic flowing Mm. form they're they're liquid because liquid works better i mean you could really explore it over a lot of time couldn't you it could end up being a series rather than a rather than a film Mm. because we know my my love for a good netflix (laughs) series so there's there's a game interesting thinks is a good uh, series for you (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yes. So to to talk about that, like what you're saying about the micro thing, there's a game that just got released on the PlayStation called Maquette. Is I think it's Maquette, M-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E. I think it's yeah. pronounced Maquette. But the idea is it's, it's a puzzle solving game where you have a tiny puzzle that when you like lift up a cube, it is actually then all of the outside of the building you're in and then outside the building that you're in again. So every action that you do influences the outside world in some way. What looks like a small key to you is actually a bridge further out. So that's the interesting thing about the it's data. It's really interesting because the algorithm on my um, in newsfeed on like my browser has been telling me all about that game. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's listening to us? It's listening. <laughs> Definitely. You know, one one of the other big things that, that people that we talk about is, so people talk about job displacement as well. So if you outsource decision-making um, and labor as well with machines, then basically that means then that lots of people are going to lose their jobs because, you know, these, these um, um, machines are going to do our jobs for us. But I liked the idea, they started to explore it in her, but basically how how machines can support people better yeah. right so you have this you have this ai that's very very close and and i like i don't know it'd be really interesting to explore compatibility i don't know just the way that yeah i sort of an a, a, an emotional integration or like an or like a positive integration to human life like oh a... i i cannot wait for sex androids <laughs> i like cannot well, wait for that it was very <laughs> her was very much an emotional do you know what I mean? It, like it wasn't yeah. the physical. It fulfilled like yeah, the but I, I sort of feel like I sort of feel like I'd probably get that attached to my sex android. That I would get that same fulfillment from it. All it's Literally. got to do is say I love you every so often, and then that's <laughs> been fine. I mean that is, but then you get very interesting ethical questions. It's like this is always the point, isn't it? If you create a robot, if you create an artificial intelligence, it is an iPhone. It doesn't have it doesn't have a soul. It is something you created. It is yours. I always find that tipping point in science fiction really fascinating, uh, and it, and it's difficult for it to convince me when it crosses over into you're now supposed to feel bad because this thing has a soul and it wants to live its own life. And it's what's fascinating is it started as a uh, as an iPhone. 
So, for, uh, you know, and so at which point, I don't know, I'd, I, I would, that crossover it's, I would find more, in. I, I want to see something more interesting there. Maybe Ex Machina was that, because in, in essence, without too many spoilers, it hadn't actually passed the Turing test, but it didn't actually have an artificial intelligence. Just the, just, mm -hmm. just the Turing test semblance of the of trickery uh, in it. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think it explored afterwards, right? A little bit like Game of Thrones, mm. right? So the whole critique there was, you know, Lord of the Rings is fine, but what happens after everyone leaves, um, you know, Rivendell and, and Gondor after the mm. big celebration? Like, what's the life after that? You know, what are kind of Aragorn's tax policies? And <laughs> yeah. I'd be really interested How long to can you be a benevolent king? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's interesting, yeah. right? And and I think then that's really interesting then about, about AI. It's like, okay, so everything that we're talking about now, it's like, you know, we fear the moment that um, um, AI becomes sentient. Like you kind of have that with kids. You get, <laughs> you know, you're afraid by the time that they leave home because they're, they're dependent on you, right? And you have that very strong emotional bond and that strong relationship. And then they go off into the world. And that's more interesting, I find, when you know, when they learn to ride the bike themselves, or they learn to walk by themselves, like what then is that interaction mm. um, with almost like the adolescence of that, of that AI, because that's basically where we left without any spoilers. Well, I guess like that's, that's interesting because like, you know, our, our mum and dad's never, when they taught us how to ride a bike, they didn't go, Oh no, Oh no, he's got, he can ride yeah, his yeah. own bike now. I never have to hold the back of it or that's put stabilizer. Yeah, yeah. I can guarantee you that's not what they thought. <laughs> that, I can guarantee they thought, I can guarantee you they thought, my God, now he's independent. Now is he going to go and get hit by a car when I let him go off? Yeah, I mean, yeah, off I mean, knowing our, knowing our hour. parents, yeah, but it was, but the thing is, but I'm saying that, you know, if you think about it that way, the analogy that Lawrence took, if we're, Taking our into our AI that we're building and we're waiting and we're creating it to make our lives easier and then we have this detachment issue from it when it becomes sentient and that's the thing we fear about but we don't think about that in our day to day lives with with parenting. I know I know Dan, you're the foremost expert in this group at it having having a kid, but you know I never felt like that that my mum and dad wanted wanted after being the stabilizers on my bike. It was more a proud moment that. I could ride my bike without stabilizers. It's kind of a both. It's kind of a both thing, actually. Uh, well, at least it's for me. I can only speak from my my experience. Is that for each stage? Just talking to one of my friends about this. Each stage of my little boy's life has been my favourite stage. Do you mm. know what I mean? So, mm. like, I loved it when he did this. I loved it when he did that. But then, as he moves on to the next bit, and I remember thinking one of my one of my older friends who was um. Her dad said the first, the last time his son's on the walking on the way to school and his son took his hand away from his on the walk and said, no, no, um, I don't want to, I don't want to be embarrassed. And he, in his heart, mm. he went, that's the last time my boy will ever hold my hand. Mm. And like, is that it's a sadness that you'll mm. never have that again, but also a fierce proud pride that he's, he's created an independence for himself, that, that that's what he wants. Mm. I think was, must be what he was saying was explaining. And like for us, we're not we're not doing very well with uh, spending a night of sleep without um, him joining us in our bed. And part of me can't wait for the day when he sleeps a night through because it would mean a night and also it'd be his. But also part of me is really sad if he doesn't because I like the cuddles at night. So, you know, there's that kind of... Whilst, but we wouldn't express that to him, of course, would we? We'd be very proud that he... Yes, of course, because you don't want him bed. to have doubt when, in his mind as exactly, he's growing. So, yeah. 
So when you're finally off your stabilizers, it's yay, you can ride, but oh my God, there's nothing there to hold you anymore. I wish I could be your stabilizers because I'm scared you're gonna skin yourself or run yourself into a car. So it's, I've, I'd love to explore that as part of the um, the AI mm. thing as well. You know, that they're, oh my God, they're my babies. They're doing so well. Oh shit, they don't need me anymore. Now what's gonna happen? So let me so, so let me just cap this off. I've, this is a fascinating, exquisite corpse and actually less ugly than I expected it to be, although it is unwieldy. <laughs> so maybe it's a series and it gets to be explored by lots of different artists and auteurs and, and creators and scientists and, and such other things. Um, then to wrap all of this up in a bow, um, I sort of like the idea that it's this entire thing is the trial to see whether, so it's like a Turing test with a new Turing test, to see whether these artificial intelligences have the right to be given their autonomy, to cross that boundary between you are a servile sort of uh, instrument that we have created, and now you are a race uh, that you, you have the, the, the right to do, you know, the same sort of rights that we would appoint to anyone else. So this entire thing are several different tests and then at the end it's of it, trial. It's, it's the entire mm. trial to determine. It's, that... it's to remove, remove Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics. From yes, them. but sort of. Yes, it's, it's like exactly. Mm. Do we take do we take the stabilizers off and let you go off on your own? Let go of the hand, and then from that point, you cannot take that back. So, so mm. this test. So if you, sort me, of if you mess up, that. we're coming for you, AI. We know how to delete you. <laughs> and then, so... and then after that, you can explore <laughs> uh, what Lawrence was saying. The, the interesting side of, of what happens afterwards as well. So maybe half of it is the mm. test. Um, spoilers, they get their, they will get their freedom um, or some of them may get their freedoms if it's you know determined in certain ways. Maybe they are also tribal uh, in, in certain ways. Um, so I always find it fascinating in science fiction where they go, right, humanity, we've, 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 you're now joined the Galactic Senate. And it's like, well, well, hold on a minute, there's a lot of humanity, you know, maybe just leave the white supremacists out. You know, maybe leave the maybe maybe leave the baby killers out. Mm. So, so with this instance, maybe it's tribal, and maybe maybe certain of them gain their freedoms, and then you, as Lawrence was saying, what is actually far more interesting is is that aftermath of like how does the coexistence and the and the building of their society work, and then we get a little bit of everything. I would love yeah. to. I would love to see. So one thing, just just to finish off, Sean. Mm. Someone, th I think that Dan, the thing that Dan's talking about is um, separation anxiety. Right. And I would love to see if AI had that for mm, us. Yes. If the point yeah. came at which we never needed it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Society was just too good. And if they ever had, you know, what if in her, the per the thing that has separation anxiety was the AI itself the AI, not and not the, the other humans. person because he was more attracted to a real person than an AI. Yeah. Hoisted by They're their own petard, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, um, point us in the direction of the social medias for anyone who wants to get hold of Slashdupe. Well, the really handy thing is Slashdupe is such an amazing entity. It's in its own biosphere, uh, as we've been discussing today. <laughs> so if, if you just Google Slashdupe, it's nothing but us, which is fantastic. But if you wanted to go through the traditional routes, you can find us Slashdupe on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. That's all at Slashdupe. We've got a Reddit, which is forward slash uh, Slashdupe which is written um, 
and come and join the conversation with us as well. We've got a Patreon as well for you to join in on that. We'd love to know what you guys think your perfect utopia is or whether you think AI are actually coming to murder us all. <laughs> uh, or, and also something as well that um, I think we've been forgetting about recently, you know, we off, we quite often drop a lot of names of directors, writers, films, video games, things like that. So every single episode of Slash Tube is accompanied by some IMDb lists of all actors and all uh, video games and titles and everything and directors that we reference. So it's two separate lists, people and things. And so if you're unsure if we, you know, we've mentioned a couple of we, uh, couple of films here today, um, sort of like... Like Ex Machina... Uh, yeah, for example, uh, The Circle. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to deep dive down into the references that we're making and go down an IMDb rabbit hole, which I love, an IMDb hole going down and down <laughs> further, finding out who was in this film with that person. And um, yeah, then we'll we'll have the lists uh, at the bottom of the description block. Um, mm. And also, uh, so, this idea, so this film uh, will automatically uh, win. Um, I'm proud to say I'm only Yay. one quarter of it, but we're all winners today. <laughs> Lawrence, you won. Normally the guests have a much harder <laughs> job, but I think you earned it because you stitched together our complete and utter nonsense with actual science. So, yeah. so that's very much appreciated. Um, so, so this one will automatically go forwards um, into this, uh, this uh, heat that will be coming up at the end of six episodes. Um, Dan, what happens, uh, just tell everyone what happens to these ideas when they win. Well, all of these ideas uh, are each segment each sort of set of six uh, we have an adjudicator heat at the end and one of our wonderful guests takes those six and distills them into one winner those one winners one winners will come down <laughs> to the end uh, so we'll have four winners from the adjudicator heat and we're going to add two wild cards from there one of which will be voted by you wonderful listener um, and then of those six there can be only one, which we will make into a trailer. Yes, an actual trailer, which it seems like more and more hard work each time I think about it. Um, it's because it's, it's becoming real. We now. thought we'd do traditionally. Real. I mean, how many podcasts? Most podcasters do something like they don't pass a certain amount of episodes. They do on average something like two or three and then they stop. So, you know, because a lot of them are, are created, so that's the sort of average. So we thought, well, maybe we'll just do six and have our fun and move on to something else. But uh, we've uh, been, we're told on our socials and everywhere else that we should keep going and we're, we're having a lot of fun doing these. Um, so, yeah, so thanks for that, Dan. I normally have quite an easy job summarising um, these, these films. Um, I don't particularly think I do a good job, but it is an easy job to do. Uh, this time will be explicitly um, and exquisitely different. So we have, between the four of us, come up with a film. <laughs> well, I'm going to cut my uh, pause out. I don't even know where to begin. Um, so many notes. So a film that starts with the title Moore's Law is going to have some sort of relationship to technology. We've chosen artificial intelligence um, because I think that algorithms and artificial intelligence is, is the next frontier. Uh, it governs everything that we do. Um, and we want to almost make a film that is evidence-based, uh, that is essentially historical fiction uh, and does what all good science fiction does, which is take a, a lens and turns it back onto everything that we're doing. So it begins with 
um, to robots on an island and you think, well, what is this? What is this thing with just robots on an island? But you realize that they're actually um, taking this Lord of the Flies meets Ex Machina type um, a microcosm. They're only one of multiple different tribes of artificial intelligences that are all uh, vying for their right to be given their free will, be given their sentience, have the, um, the stabilizers taken off. Um, and these environments are all monitored to see uh, their progress. The outcome of which uh, means that one or more of them actually gain their freedoms. And then the entire second half of this project, be it a television show or a film, is uh, the aftermath. Um, the much more interesting part of what happens when an AI gets not just its freedom, but sort of its um, status as a, as a race or its status as a as a being, and then it has to form its own worlds, but but sanctioned. Because in a lot of movies you see it, it's unsanctioned. They fight for it. They go off. They but in this they they're given their own um, place to govern. No wait. Yes, but like it, it's so complicated. That's the stuff we didn't discuss. Um, it's it's it's. I've got, I've got I've got to type this out, Sean. So yeah, yeah. Know. Enjoy that. Enjoy trying just... to find a through line through this. Um, so it's Ex Machina meets Synecdoche, New York meets Battlestar Galactica meets Walking with Dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And um... <laughs> yes, there you go. That's it. That that's, that, that's the only bit. That's the only bit I'll write down. That's the only bit I'll write down. So whoever has to pitch this in the adjudicator episode, that's the only thing they get um, to say. All they get to remember. <laughs> So, good work. It was it was a nice experiment to be pitching uh, collaboratively, as you sort of said. This is exquisite yeah. sort of way creating a, a slash utopia, one might say, mm. in, in a way that we could maybe justify our own existence yeah. as a slash dupe. There was some some silliness from me, you know, some some creativity from Dan, and the the hard facts and science <laughs> from from Laura, from the doctor of the group. You know, it well, was it was sure. it was important. The structure. Uh, guidance. Guidance. There. Yeah. <laughs> guidance. You gave us the paddock to play within, and we we simply ran the biosphere in which yes. we created <laughs> the utopia. So Lawrence, you run a company called Digital Mindfulness that, among other things, um, has a podcast. Uh, it is on hiatus at the moment, but what can people expect from it when they listen to it? So, yep. Yeah, so that, thank you so much. So yeah, basically that hiatus is going to end. So I run a podcast called Digital Mindfulness, um, where basically I focus on um, the different challenges, the different developments in ethical and responsible technology. So um, I think I've brought a lot of that to, to this discussion. And yeah, we're going to be kicking off again by the end of the month, this month. So in March 2021. So Thanks so much. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, no problem. It's very exciting that you're that that um you're gonna be in my ear holes again. Um <laughs> what where can people find digital mindfulness if they want to listen to it or learn more about what, what digital mindfulness does? So um I think a little bit like yourselves, um I think I've colonized the words um digital <laughs> mindfulness on Google, thankfully enough. But if you just Google nice. digital mindfulness, go to Spotify or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, um, we're there. Also digitalmindfulness.net. Um, it's where all of the articles, reports, and everything else, all of the papers that we publish, all they all live there. So yeah, we'd love to have you. Thank you very much. Um, okay, 
uh, I, it's a very sincere thanks to you, Lawrence, for, for making the time to come on today mm. and giving us some of your expertise. I hope you've enjoyed it. Have you, what, what's been the highlight of the podcast, you think? I think just, um, I think, I think it's just really, it's brilliant. It's really excellent way of, um, um, you know, creating something from nothing, but bringing together, um, people that have different expertise, different points of view and, you know, and again, intellectually a safe space to be able to build something up that actually might have some value for mm. some people. Good answer. See, that's why the, we need more doctors on. <laughs> it's just, just... <laughs> Hey, you you booked the guests, Sean. So you know you're, <laughs> yeah, you're in charge of that. And uh, Ryan and Dan, thank you very much. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. Thank you for making the time. You're very Absolutely. welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.